0: Welcome back, everyone, to Locker Room Dads. Today's guest was one of the first to ever do it in the podcast game. He is an NFL veteran and, most importantly, a Locker Room Dad. Please welcome Ross Tucker to the show. Thanks, Pat, Ross. us.
1: what's up, man? How are you?
0: Good, man. Thanks for coming on. And we're excited yeah, to Pat, have Josh, you Josh,
1: I lo- love, love the concept of the show, by the way. Josh, I was telling Pat on the phone... Uh, I'm envious because all of my (laughs) shows, the Ross Tucker podcast and even money fantasy feast. They're all kind of time sensitive. Whereas your guys shows, I mean, I don't know when you're going to post this, but you could do, you could post it two years from now. It's not going to change that much. So it's awesome. It's an awesome topic. I've been on so many shows since 2007, my last year. I don't know that I've ever really been asked about being a dad. Like I, I, it's kind of weird. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you guys did like the market research. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's other shows out there, but at least I'm not aware of them. So I think it's a great concept.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah. We felt like it was an untapped market for the dads around the world. So we're figuring out how to make it a really unique one. So we've been having some fun doing this so far.
0: Yeah. So Ross, you were actually the big reason of why locker room dads, has existed thus far. I mean, could you walk us through how you got into the podcast game and you created this empire with the Ross Tucker uh, podcast? So can you just give a little bit of uh, insight on how you got started?
1: Yeah, honestly, um, 95% luck, if, if I'm being honest, right? Which, you know, the older you get, the more you realize people that have like success or successful businesses, man, there's always good fortune on the way, right? So, uh, well, first of all, my dad's 5'9", 170 pounds. So the fact that I'm <laughs> 6'5", and when my wife and I got married, it was three weeks after I had a back surgery for the bills. So literally, speaking of being a dad, this is when I, before I was a dad, my heaviest day of my life was my wedding day. Not many people <laughs> can say that. I was 335 on my wedding day, and I'm so cheap that I kept my sophomore year tuxedo no. that I bought at Princeton when I was like 290. So oh, I was nice. thirty five in my 290 tux because I I'd had a back surgery uh, for the bills three weeks before my wedding. Obviously, like when you do the wedding hmm. a year in advance, you don't know you're going to have a herniated disc that you play through all year because you have a uh, 80% playing time bonus or whatever, right? So um, just the fact that I got to be an NFL player at all is good fortune because of, I told you my dad's size. And then when I was growing up, I always wanted to get into the media. So I think like maybe till sixth grade, you know, I want to be an NFL player. And I was like, everybody else is going through puberty. And I was a late bloomer. And I was like looking around like, yeah, so the NFL thing definitely not happening. Uh Maybe I can go to Syracuse and be a broadcaster or Write for Sports Illustrated. I I used to love reading Sports Illustrated. And actually, I'm one of those weird people. I like to write. Um, but then uh, I got better at football, and I got opportunities to go to Harvard and Princeton and stuff for football. So that okay. So I go to Princeton, and I think awesome, sweet football got me into a, you know maybe the best school in the country. But I just kind of kept getting bigger and, and better, and I saw other Ivy League guys were getting a shot. So I ended up getting a chance. And what's weird is, like, so first of all, at Princeton, nobody talks about the media. So I actually accepted a job on Wall Street my senior (laughs) year, uh, Lehman Brothers, ironically, sales and trading. And then, um, you know, I made the Redskins at the time. They were called the Redskins as a rookie in 2001. So I actually deferred my Lehman Brothers for a year. And then the next year, I was starting for Washington, and I called Lehman Brothers to defer to get – I wanted to make sure I had that <laughs> Wall Street gig ready, Mark. like, packed up. And uh, Lehman Brothers like, Ross, we just saw you on TV the other night, like, starting. Like, you don't need to keep deferring it. Like, we have you in our system that we offered you a job. But I was very cognizant that, especially for an undrafted free agent from Princeton, yeah. that football was very much a temp job. So I was very well aware of that. So the weird thing is, from age 6 to 16, I was infatuated with the media. College, I told you, at Princeton, everybody just talks about, you know, consulting or investment banking or whatever. And then the NFL, I actually did an internship every offseason. So in D.C., it was Merrill Lynch. In With the Cowboys, I interned for Roger Staubach's commercial real estate company I, I just was always really well aware that football was a temp job. And in the off season, you guys know, Pat knows all you do is lift weights. So like you have time to explore other things. And um, I just wasn't like a video game guy. I didn't even know what, to, what else to do with my time. Like I wanted to learn about these other industries and see if it was something I'd be interested in, but I still like doing the media stuff. And, um, but I kind of looked around and it felt like I could tell that the best broadcasting jobs went to the guys that were the best players. And, uh, no. as you can tell with all the helmets behind me or whatever, I was kind of a journeyman. Um, so I just knew I wasn't like ever going to get the Troy Aikman $19 million a year, or whatever, <laughs> right? So I, I knew that that was not me. Um, and also it's like everybody. I can speak to this a lot of guys in the locker room say they're going to be an announcer, a broadcaster when they're done, and so <clears throat> I guess I thought I went to Princeton, you know, I got these internships, I can do something else, right, But then what happened is um my last year, the n f l had a broadcasting boot camp, and I went to the first one of those. I literally thought I would get involved in finance but I love football so much that I thought maybe I'll just um, do the printing games on the radio or something, you know, like on the weekends. And then I came away from it thinking a lot of guys can talk on the radio. A lot of guys can kind of talk for 15 seconds on TV, but not many of these guys really want to write. And it's 2007. Everybody's getting all their information from the internet. But literally not one writer ever played, right? They're all, you know, journalism yeah. guys, which is great. So, um, I actually was walking. I was back with the Redskins at the time. So, I started and finished my career there. And I'm walking out of – this is a great lesson, by the way, for everybody. Dads, anybody, okay? I'm walking out of Redskin Park. <clears throat> and I look over and I see Peter King, the very famous, you know, Monday morning quarterback, NBC guy um sitting in like the media workroom and I look at him I think okay and I walk out and I take like five steps towards my car no joke and I was like no like you're an idiot you just went to the boot camp like you know you want to write this is the premier football writer like go introduce yourself right so I walk back in and I open up the media workroom which like players just don't do like players don't go into the media workroom where they're all like on their computers, like (laughs) like you just don't do that. But I went in there. I introduced myself to Peter kind of told him my idea, which was to write. He loved it. And so, um, met with him once that summer before camp started. And he said, he knew I was on the bubble, right? He knew I was on the bubble. And if I made it, it'd be great cuz i'd been cut the year before and was out of the league. If i got cut, then i knew i was done done, right? So either way, he's like, write down what happens during camp, blah blah blah. Well, it was neither. I got i i herniated my C5 C6 in my neck <laughs> and bruised my spinal cord against the Ravens on the wedge on kickoff return on Pat's evil special team. <laughs> um, so i hurt my neck <clears throat> Career over, you know, the doctor's like, I'm like, what do you think? He's like, I think you're twenty eight and you went to Princeton and you should get a real job. He's like, once your <laughs> spinal cord's gotten involved, like yeah. by the way, to that doctor, um, I'm forty three now, still haven't gotten a real job, dude. Um, <laughs> hey, which is he's awesome. doing it right. Yeah. So so anyway, literally I wrote Peter King's Monday morning quarterback about my injury, my career being over. Guys, I had like four media offers in a week, in a week. Wow. Um, Comcast TV, Sports Illustrated Writing, Sirius XM Radio, Jim Rome was like emailing me. Um, What else? Oh, Princeton. Even though I was on IR with the Redskins, Princeton, I could do their games on the radio.
2: Yes, sir. So I
1: had a color commentary job, a radio job, a TV job, and a writing job. Basically, within like two weeks after I hurt my neck, just because when I was walking out of Redskin Park, I stopped and said, no, I'm going to introduce myself to this guy. So the one thing I would tell anybody is like, when in doubt, do it. You know, when in doubt, go introduce yourself. So writing for Sports Illustrated led to writing for ESPN, basically just because they pay me more money. (laughs) And when I went to write for ESPN, ESPN said, Ross, will you host our podcast? And I was like, of course, I would love to. Huge podcast guy. (laughs) This is 2009, maybe. Literally had no idea what a podcast was. Early, yeah, Early. Wow. None. Like
0: 2009,
1: maybe 2010. The podcast producer called me. He's like, what do you know about a podcast? I was like, dude, nothing. Uh, but I know it's just talking about football. Right. And he said, yeah, it's, it's like on demand audio, right? It's like people can listen on their, whatever it was at the time. uh, iPod. I think their iPod. Yeah. And, and I was like, dude, whatever. I, I just said I would do it because it was pretty good money to just talk about football every day. Well, back then there was like no podcasts. Um, so I think at one point we were getting like 90,000 listeners an episode. It was the only show in town. So I did that for three years. And then I kind of caught wind that because I was doing a lot of television stuff for NBC, that ESPN executives didn't like that. Like, wait a minute. (laughs) Why is our podcast guy on NBC TV? By the way, they could have just made me an ESPN TV guy, but instead they were going to take me off the podcast. So I quickly started my own and we had just started to get sponsors on the ESPN one. So I call and, and they would have me on the sponsor calls and they would have me meeting these like 100 flowers and Sherry's berries and uh, seat geek or whatever. So right away, I just called him. I was like, yo, I'm starting my own. I'm giving you introductory pricing, bro. Like here's what I got for you. And they all just jumped in. So, I had like a built in audience and a profitable podcast business. Wow. My first day, which is totally insane and totally unrealistic. Um, but it was just my luck of ESPN asking me to do the podcast. And then I guess my, the only thing I did was I made the contacts. And when I saw ESPN was going to move on from me. I was quick to move to start my own thing, brought over a decent amount of the audience and kind of been going and building it ever since the next year. Uh, so anyway, I do the Ross Tucker football podcast, which is every day. And they're always about 30 minutes. So then the next year, I, I, all my buddies, all they would talk about is fantasy. <laughs> so next year I started a fantasy podcast called the Fantasy Feast. And then um, my, my buddies would also talk about betting So next year I started a betting podcast, Even Money. And so I'm very glad because those were two really good podcasts to start because they're highly desirable for advertisers. And uh, I guess I've been doing it on my own since like 2012, 2013. You know, the rest is history, I guess.
0: That's amazing. Just one chance, one conversation, that definitely is a life lesson. I mean, you went to Princeton, so you knew how to open doors. I mean, they probably taught you the first introductory class, like 101, like <laughs> yeah. you introduce yourself to the bigger and betters of the world. So that's awesome. But you we, know what, we,
1: by the way? They, they, they really don't, but they should. They should. And that's the thing I tell people all the time. Like, I did a uh, uh, graduation speech at my high school I don't know, a bunch of years ago. And I said to the kid, like, I said, look, I have one piece of advice when in doubt do it and the parents looked at me horrified like their kids are going to college for the first time in two months yeah and my advice is when in doubt do it but I just like I think about everything in my life like I didn't really feel like going to Bucknell my senior year of college three weeks before the draft but my buddies were getting together so I was like okay I'll go and um that's where I met my wife or like Um, go big recruiting which is a successful high school athletic recruiting business i've had since my last year since 2007 i was at a wedding and i met a guy and he said it was an internet video expert and i told him my idea he called me like three times that next week to start this business i was playing for the patriots i was like yeah yeah i don't know i don't know i did it and thank god i did like the point is like I have a lot of good stories and good examples of when I wasn't sure and I did it. You know what stories and examples you have of when you're not sure and you don't do it? Nothing.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause if you yeah. don't
1: do it, nothing happens. Nothing.
0: Well, speaking about doing it, you are a dad <laughs> of two girls
2: transition.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how old they are. Yes. Um, 10
1: and 8, 17 months apart. That was um, that was not in our uh, game plan, mm-hmm. um, so to speak. But it's funny because now I wouldn't want it any other way, you know? And it's funny, too, because once you have what you have, you can't imagine it any other way. 100%. So percent like, I mean, obviously it would be awesome to have a boy. Like that'd be cool, but I, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't swap out. Right. (laughs) You're preaching to the choir. We both have girls. Yeah. Yeah. So especially because they're best friends, they're, they're, they're 10 and eight girls, best 17 months apart, best friends. And it's so awesome when you're like, You drop them off like at a camp or like a daycare or anything because you know, no matter what, they have each other. Yeah. Right? Like they have each other's back because, you know, if they're five years apart or whatever. And then look, just so you guys know, my wife is six years older than her sister. So my wife, I I don't think she'll mind me sharing this. When she came home from work I was holding the 8 month old and my wife burst in from the garage and just started crying and I was like what's wrong what like what's <laughs> happening what and she's like I'm pregnant and I'm like this is awesome this is amazing but in her and by the way the 8 month old I don't know what she thought, but the eight month old was laughing hysterically at my wife crying. (laughs) You know, she had never seen my wife crying. I think maybe she thought she was playing around or whatever. I don't know what, I don't know what she thought, but I'll never forget. My wife is bawling because she's pregnant again in her, in her opinion too soon. And the eight month old is laughing and I'm just like taking it in. Like, this is life. Like, this is awesome. This is life. But my wife thought, um, my wife thought or thinks that her being so much older than her sister, she got so much attention from the family and her, her parents, it, it made her the woman she is today, right? She's very successful, very accomplished. So she thought she was actually doing wrong by the older one. By not giving the older one more of her own time. Yeah. More of her attention, which is kind of ironic if you think about it, because I'm a second child. The second child never gets any one-on-one time. Like the second (laughs) child never gets any only them time. So like, it's really a flawed, it's really flawed logic. But um, in hindsight, we're so happy it worked out the way it did because like we said, they're best friends. Uh, now they fight all the time, but <laughs> if anybody says anything, the other one, the other one has their back and it's like, they're my girls, right? It's, uh, it's awesome because they're into the same things, Yeah, you know, whether we go to Disney world or whatever, you know, like today I'll take them to hip hop, um, class, hip hop dance class, which is their favorite. And then right after that. We'll go to the Hershey Bears, which is AHL, Mm. ice (laughs) hockey. Um, They love going to the Hershey Bears. We have tickets second row. I love minor league hockey. Like, I can't tell the difference. They're a bunch of, you know, (laughs) 16 year old Canadian dudes (laughs) flying around, killing each other. It looks good to me. Um, And so um, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. So, yes, 10 and 8 are my daughters.
2: Well, I think – you know, being a girl dad is really cool because when you grow up, you know, as a boy, you're you're like getting into crap, you're rolling in the dirt, whatever. And especially like being a pro athlete, you know, for Pat having a daughter and you having two daughters, you always think about having a boy, like the whole time. I mean, we can talk about as like you're gonna have a boy sure. to follow up with whatever you did, but then you have a girl, and I think it's so cool because you're learning things you have no clue about, and it's kind of fun. It's like. I don't know any of this crap. I have no clue. I don't even know how I'm supposed to change a girl, any of it, but it's just like so fun learning. And I mean, with two kids, eight and 10, you've probably already learned a ton going through that.
1: Yeah. I, I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, I think, and I've talked to my sister about this. My sister has two girls and then a boy and there really is a special connection for whatever reason with the, the parent of the opposite sex. I, I don't know why it, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they think, I don't know how much longer this is going to last. <laughs> Enjoy but it. But they think yeah. I'm the greatest. I mean, they really do. That's the like, best. They think, uh, like, so just so you guys know, as we're recording this, um, Today's actually my birthday. Today's my four. I I'm turned 43. Oh, man. Today. Well, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. So I just got the cards from my daughters this morning saying, you know, you're the kindest, smartest, <laughs> toughest, most outgoing, as you guys can already tell. Funny. Like, <laughs> and it just is awesome. And I think, um, I think it'd be awesome to have a boy. Um, I think that'd be cool to experience both for sure. But I also think, um, like if I had a son, okay, and he played high school football, I I, I wouldn't sleep all week. Like I wouldn't sleep all week. And not that I would be like a crazy dad during the game, like yelling <laughs> at me, but just it's just different. Yeah. It's just a different experience. My girls. Monday it's ballet, Tuesday it's tennis lessons, Wednesday it's hip hop, Thursday it's singing and uh, piano, like it's great, you know, and it's, I'm their softball coach, I sucked at baseball, (laughs) So, so I told my wife, now that they're in two different age groups, 10U and 8U, I'm like, I'm staying down at 8U to coach, 10U they start like, moving the outfielders and like I'm like no no, no. I don't know anything about that <laughs> um but I and by the way this is good uh locker room dad advice I highly recommend any opportunity you get to coach your kids to do it it is one of the coolest most rewarding experiences of my entire life And it's really not even your daughters or your kids. It's the other kids. Like uh, my wife says I shouldn't hug the other kids, but that's just kind of how I grew up. (laughs) Right. When like one of the girls, you know, makes it, gets it out, like catches the ball in the air or makes a big hit. And I run over to them and I'm so excited. like, I am so I swear I'm more excited for these little girls catching a softball than I than I was for like when I would drain a 3 in high school hoops. Like <laughs> the smile on their face. The the joy. It is priceless. Absolutely priceless. And so I'm coaching again. This should be my fourth Good. year coaching. Oh yeah. Um I love it. Highly recommend it. Like You need to do whatever it takes to find a way to do it as much and as often as possible. Because also, like, your kids will remember that forever. Like, they'll remember that you coached them. And my daughters were fighting over which level I was going to coach at eight U or 10 (laughs) U. And I said to the older one, I'm like, babe, like, they're starting to do stuff at that level that daddy doesn't know. I can only get you so far. Yeah. i'm not putting the shift on i don't know how to
2: shift no we're not
0: shifting yet but you're you're out there coaching all the time and making a big difference in their lives for sure i mean you don't know what's going on in that girl's life you know if she has a dad uh role model i mean you could be that guy because my dad was a soccer coach and very similar like he was very animated he loved helping out but he could only get the girls to so far so he said to my sister and myself like I'm gonna let someone else coach you, but he was still a role model in those girls' lives. So that's awesome. I'm really happy that you're doing that. And I think it's a good lesson for dads out there that are trying to, you know, connect with their kids or thinking about coaching them. So it's not even if you had played the sport, right? You know nothing about softball, but you know, sometimes you don't need. But uh it is
1: it is awesome.
0: Well, we can we can pivot a little bit. When you travel for work, um, is it really hard to stay connected with the girls? I know like when you do the show, you're probably in your man cave, right? I know you have this glorified podcast, uh, layer of that I heard, like it's a separate garage. Um, but when you travel for work, is it really hard to connect with the girls or do you guys have like a routine? Cause I know you're on the road a lot when you're in the booth and doing sideline stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, great question. So first of all, before I forget, Pat, next time you're in, you're, you're in the area, you got to come over and check it out. Um, Cause it'll just help you to, you know, anything that you might have for down the road or anything that you might think about. Um, it, it's really, uh, this house had more value for us than it did for other people. Right. right. Like yeah. there's a separate building that the guy had a wood shop. Right. And, uh, I'm not much of a carpenter myself. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife and I just thought, that's the place that's where that's what we'll make that into your studio. So like a third of it is a studio and then two thirds of it is my gym right next to each other. It's so like I come over here in the morning and I'm good for the day. Like I'm, I'm good. Um, it's, a, it's a ideal setup. <clears throat> um, travel is hard. Tell you what, um, I don't have many regrets. I do have one. I wish I would have gotten an iPhone earlier. I was always an Android guy. And I realized you can do Google Duo. And we started to do that, you know, the last couple years before I got an iPhone like a year ago. But I wish I traveled a lot when the girls were really young. Because I would have like a hundred studio days with NBC Sports in Stamford, Connecticut. Yeah. Shoot. Which meant like not only was I doing a college game Saturday on TV, NFL game Sunday on radio, Tuesday and Wednesday nights I was in Stamford, Connecticut. You know, doing a studio show. So I see the videos my wife has from when the girls were that age. And I wish in hindsight, we had FaceTime. Like I would talk to him on the phone or obviously I would talk to my wife, but it would have been a lot better if we had been FaceTiming the whole time. Now it's awesome. Like now I'll FaceTime them twice a day when I'm on the road, right? Like I know when they're on their way to school, Um, or at night, I know when bedtime is. So now it's actually much easier. I'll show them the stadium I'm in, or they like to see hotel rooms for some reason. I'll show (laughs) them the hotel room. Um, so we do those things and, um, man, I can't imagine how much harder it was 20, 30, 40 years ago before the technology.
0: No doubt. Yep.
1: Being able to see them and talk to them, it's not the same as being with them, but it's light years better than just talking to them. And obviously, a zillion years away uh, better than not talking to them at all. So that that's the key. Um, I do now think of every decision I make through the prism of time and time away from them. You know, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, I was offered a really good job. Um, That would have been in the afternoon every day. And it would have been a commute. And so I would have missed after school activities. And then I would have missed putting them to bed. Because by the time I commuted back, they would have been in bed. And it was a really good job. But I just couldn't do it. I've always tried to live my life with no regrets. So I just thought, okay, which am I more likely to regret? Right. Right. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, You know, not taking this job or not being there to put my daughters to bed from ages five and six till whenever. And it was obvious. It was clear. I think that's one thing that separates our generation from like my dad's generation. I think, my dad's generation and the generation above so work-focused, so, you know, must provide for the family as much money as possible, mm-hmm. very driven, goal-oriented. And don't get me wrong, like, I want to make as much money as possible. <laughs> um, but I think you so have quality, to attach yeah. value to everything. Yep, And I think, you know, I'm in a good spot with the different things I've done. And my wife has a business that like, we talk a lot about our most valuable currency being time. Yeah. And I'm going to trade time for money anytime I can. It's like the things that I spend the most money on are anything that saves me time. Anything that saves me convenience. Cause I always think like, okay, let's say I'm 80 years old and I'm on my deathbed. Like, I'm not going to wish I had that $2,000 or (laughs) $5,000, whatever it is. I'm going to wish I had, you know, another five minutes, you know, with my kids when they were 8 and 10. So I make that trade a lot.
0: So we noticed that you're very active on Instagram. you always posting like beer pics, food pics. I know the girls probably get a good kick out of that too. Is it just being a former lineman you love to eat and indulge or have you just always been a foodie?
1: Um, so it's so funny that people use the term foodie. I I don't know how to make anything (laughs) and I don't know, like, I'm not like in, I, I describe myself as an Edie,
0: an Edie. I (laughs) I eat,
1: I eat more than I foodie is like, to me is like someone that's really into different kinds of foods and food preparations and cooking. Like that's not me. I like to eat. And I like beer a lot. The funny thing is, so I got two like social campaigns, if you will, (laughs) that are popular. Once a weekend, I'll take a picture of the beer I'm drinking or the beer fridge and I'll say, show me your beer, which they can't do on Facebook or Instagram. But on Twitter, they all reply with their beer and it gets crazy engagement. It's amazing. It is. Everybody replies with the beer that they have. It's really, really cool. So it's hashtag show me your beer.
2: I need to start then, responding to that, by the way, because I own a brewery. So I'm going to have to start responding to you.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah.
2: So I'm wearing it, it up like here. Looks like I need to
1: make a trip down south. Oh, yeah. I'll
2: hook you up with a few beers.
1: <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Um, So, yeah, you do need to respond to that. And then, in fact, you know what you should do? Send me some, Josh. And, um, That'll be my beer sometime. All right. Like that'll be what I post.
2: We'll make it happen for sure.
1: And you'll get like literally hundreds of thousands of impressions. It's really cool. The way the algorithm works is when so many people reply, a lot more people see it, right? Like it just, they show it to more people. I don't know. Um, But then I also do um, press box food because I don't know. It's like nobody else does it. And I just thought, some teams are way better than others (laughs) um and i just thought it was interesting people are really curious like what do they feed the media um and even other media people are curious they want to see what it's like and that's hashtag tuck spreads the funny thing is like people will say to me or my parents like i'll meet someone or they'll meet my parents and they'll be like oh ross tucker yeah He's the press box food guy. Oh, <laughs> You got to understand, okay? <laughs> I was two-time academic All-American at Princeton, right? And, and and my parents paid. There's no scholarships in the Ivy League. I had scholarships like William & Mary in Delaware, but I thought if I go to Princeton Harbor, I'm going to go. And for my parents to be like, I just always think my parents must be so proud. I'm the press box food video guy. Like that's what I'm known as.
0: So speaking of food and drink, I mean, my sister's getting married this Sunday and I'm the officiant, but I can only imagine like having two girls, like, does it go through your mind? We talked about money a little bit. Like you have to have two weddings and you have to pay for it. Does that keep you up (laughs) at night? Me and girl dad.
1: You know, I hear that a lot. Um, it really doesn't, you know, like, first of all, I hope I do a good enough job that They want to have a nice wedding for them. They don't want to have an exorbitant wedding to show off or whatever. Like, I hope I do a good enough job and that they're like my wife is. Understanding value and understanding the things that really matter in life. That they don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars or something crazy on a wedding. So that's kind of our job now. Is to lay the foundation about money, value, what matters in life, number one. And then number two, man, I just, like, I think about how special, like, I think more about walking them down the aisle and what it'll be like to look over at them <laughs> before we go down the aisle than I do about the money. Like, I think... I'd like to think when I get to that point that in a weird way, I'll almost be thankful that I have the honor and privilege of spending a bunch of money, whatever it is, whatever it is, it's a bunch of money on my daughter's wedding, right? Like, yeah, it's an honor. It's a privilege. And I think I'll just be so happy as long as I like the guy (laughs) Mm -hmm. that uh, I won't really, I I don't think it'll bother me that much. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some ground rules. You know, my father-in-law certainly did. Um, But no, I don't think about the money
2: a lot. I really don't. Well, I know we're running out of time with you. So I want to make sure we get this one last question. Pat and I love doing this. Would you rather? And uh, we try to come up with a good one for each person we have on. So Pat, I'll let you ask him see
0: what we got here. So, Ross, here we go. Would you rather have your daughters host one of your podcasts, right, or would you rather have them in the booth slash field with you, whatever you're doing that day, commenting on live TV? I mean, because I can only imagine parenting and trying to, like, keep them quiet <laughs> during the duration of a game.
1: At, at this age right now? Yes. This age. I think, I think I'd think i rather have them at the game.
0: <laughs> the game yeah, will I entertain I, them a little bit yeah
1: well yeah i think um i don't think the pod i think the podcast would be interesting because they you know it's really weird they have an iPads and they'll like google me right <laughs> and they'll see like the intro to my show like they can watch my show which is kind of crazy um so they they actually like practice like they practice on their ipad but it's all like what they see on youtube videos so it's like Hey guys, I'm just hanging out. Like <laughs> that's that's how they start their videos. Hey guys, I'm just in the playroom hanging out with Barbie. Um, something like that. Um, if they're at a game, I I brought them to a couple of games before. They haven't been on the air, but I brought them a couple of games, but I think they'd be so entranced by what's going on. I don't think they would say very much. If anything, you get a daddy, daddy. And I'd be like, yes. And they'd ask a question. Um, I think people would fine. love that.
0: Yeah. I mean, they love when <laughs> yeah. kids go into the post game pressers. Right. So maybe yeah, it's a thing. I think
1: that, you know, I think that I, I think it would be entertaining. I got all kinds of ideas. Like I think that would be entertaining. I think doing calling games where you're actually drinking beers. Yes. Um, would be very entertaining <laughs> oh, yeah. trying to get a network to do that. Like, just be Could be more challenging, and yeah. just that's how that's what everybody else is doing exactly. Right? Like, um, so I don't know at some point, somebody will do it and they'll have a lot of success with it,
0: definitely. But, Ross, we appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. Thank you so much for coming on Locker Room Dads. We'll have to catch up soon.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me. Love the idea. Looking forward to listening to some other episodes.
0: So, make sure you follow Ross at Twitter and Instagram at Ross Tucker Pod. He is a great follow. I highly recommend it. Appreciate it, Ross. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
2: Locker Room Dads is brought to you by Stormhouse Brewing. South Florida's best pint and bite is located in sunny North Palm Beach. Whether you're looking for a great craft beer, delicious food, or watching your favorite team, they're always brewing the perfect storm. And Coach First. Coach First is a fully integrated app that is designed for athletes and coaches alike. Whether you want to book your next training session or take your coaching to the next level, Coach First is the app for you. Find them on the App Store and sign up today.